0: What is up you guys? Welcome to Mindset Sessions by Off The Wall Therapy. I'm Brock Iceman, and I am stoked to give you guys a look into the sport and performance psychology world. I am here to help you create tools and optimize your potential. Let's get it. doing, everyone? Okay, welcome back to Mindset Sessions. For those of you who have never listened to an episode, this is the interview. Today, I am lucky enough to have Shane, who is one of my oldest friends on the podcast today, and Shane, will introduce himself him in a second. Across from me, I have Grizz. What's up, you guys? And... For those of you who don't know how this podcast is run, Mindset Sessions, we have three different segments. First segment, segment we're doing right now is interviews. Second segment is called Q&A, which is basically questions and answers. You guys can shoot in questions to my email, and that is...
1: Brock at offthewalltherapy.com.
0: Perfect. Or you can message me on Mindset Sessions podcast, or you can message me on Off The Wall Therapy, and both of those are on Instagram. Um, that's called Q and a. So we have interviews and Q and a, the third one is called P and B. That's the episode that was right before this episode 18 and episode 18. We did performance and brain. So performance and brain is that third segment performance and brain is basically taking research studies that we like, or that people send us in that we want to talk about that all have to do with performance. So performance and brain interviews and Q and a's the episode today is going to be an interview. And Obviously, like I said, we have Shane. Shane, you can say hello. Hey, everybody. Okay, so Shane is, like I said, one of my oldest friends. We grew up in San Clemente together. He played baseball with me, played baseball with me in college. Um, He's now a father. um, Yeah. Just had a daughter. And I really wanted him on the podcast because a lot of my friends, and I would say this, a majority of my friends... I, uh, I have like a really deep connection to relationships and it's probably all spawned from my relationship with Shane and spawned from my relationship with our other friend, Brett. And we've been yeah. friends for a really long time and pretty much every relationship I've ever been in, um, whether that be with other guys or women or literally any relationship I've ever been in, I always base it on this like very first friendship that I had with these two guys that kind of like was okay, this is how friendships are. This is when someone gets a flat tire, who's gonna be there to pick you up? If you're gonna go and you're gonna go cry, like who's gonna be there to to literally talk you through it, listen to you. Um
2: we've done that many times. (laughs) Yeah. So
0: I I just wanna make this important when you guys are listening to this. This is this is a guy that kind of he and I started that whole thing and we'll talk about off the grid. We'll talk about things that he's helping me with and how involved we are in each other's lives. And really, I I want the theme here to be um, how important relationships are and how important friendships are and how that affects your entire life and everyone around you. So that's kind of... Shane, you can kind of introduce yourself and who are you? Yeah. So Brock mentioned we've been friends for a
2: long time, Um, all the way back to high school. I think... Kind of understanding that story would be helpful for, for people. So Brock and I first met um, in high school. We were playing freshman baseball together at San Clemente High School, which it's always funny that we're super close now because I think when we first met, it was like this adversarial kind of standoffish relationship. Uh, I think we were both a little bit, I don't know how to say this, but like alpha in a way. Mm. And <laughs> we were like kind of testing each other on some stuff. But fast forward. So freshman year we met, we played freshman baseball together, uh, really had no relationship at that point. Um, and then I think we really got close sophomore year of high school. Um, and that's when you started going through some pretty gnarly stuff in your life. And then obviously Brett went through another big moment in his life. And I think that, um, we can talk about that a little bit. I'm sure we'll get into it more as we go, but, um, sophomore year of high school when you lost Carly, um, We really had no friendship at that point, but I remember distinctly the day when I was actually at a team barbecue for the end of the season and you weren't there and everyone was asking about you and my parents came over to me and they said, Brock is in the hospital. He's there to tend to his sister. We're going to go say hi. And there was this overwhelming feeling for me of that's where I need to be. So. Um, From that day on, and we can, again, focus on a relationship and how that emerged, but I think from that day when we went to the hospital and we walked through that as a friendship, and then fast forward through high school, we got really close through that. Um, I think it really started a perspective on relationships, and I joke about it now with my wife, too, about how surface and small talk tends to not be my desire for relationships And i think it stems from that moment but through high school close and then college we actually went different directions you went to northridge i went to westmont we stayed in touch uh, kept calling each other checking in on each other but um, i think we really came back together at vanguard i remember when we went back to vanguard you were transferring from northridge to play ball there Um, i had stopped playing baseball at the time and you called me and you said hey come play summer ball with me and i was pretty jaded and that's a big part of my story too of just bitter at the sport and you, and
0: you didn't play baseball that freshman year at Westmont too.
2: no yeah. I didn't yeah I hoped to get an offer out of high school and then that didn't happen so I got pretty bitter and put up the spikes and then you called me and said let's go play summer ball and I said well what is summer ball uh, in terms of risk there was nothing it was just let's go have fun so we did that and then you were on a scholarship there and I ended up walking on so then we spent four years as Ball players, roommates, friends, and now to this day we've both been to each other's weddings, <laughs> mm-hmm. and now looking to raise kids together. So it's been quite the journey from that freshman year of trying to feel each other out. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely.
1: Why were you? Um, so you you brought you mentioned you were you were jaded. Like, was that just uh, was that from sports or? Yeah, was that
0: was that like recruiting in high school? I don't I don't really remember. I remember recruiting from when I was in high school. I was like it happened so last minute for me yeah um and I have a I mean I have a bunch of high school athletes that are constantly like really negatively stressed out about like oh this team didn't want me I want to go to this school this team like what what was your experience with that in high school
2: yeah so growing up my parents I'm going back because it'll play into kind of my philosophy of high school and recruiting and all that. But growing up, we were super tired of family. So we didn't participate in club sports a lot because it took away from Sundays, which was family day for us. Um, so translate that to high school baseball. I didn't really attend any camps or anything like that. And I think there was a lot of pride there for me because it was this whole idea that if I'm good enough, someone will find me. Um, so I didn't attend any camps, anything like that. And where I got jaded was I had this expectation of going to college to play baseball. So I was so overconfident at that point, I only applied to two colleges. One was in Colorado, which I knew I didn't want to go to Colorado, um, and two was Westmont. So by the time I graduated high school, I had no offers to play baseball. And the day I moved into Westmont was the first time I ever saw the campus. So uh, I had this high expectation for myself that didn't really play out. And looking back now with some more maturity, I realize is I didn't put myself out there enough to be seen, but I think I was bitter at the fact that I had committed my whole life and my whole plan to this idea that did never play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And the other thing that I always tell people in my story is, so in high school, obviously from sophomore year, Brock and I and Brett became super close. I always had Brock, Brett, my family, and baseball. Those were like my identities really in a lot of ways i had tied myself to those and then when i went to college i lost baseball i lost my friends and i lost my family so that was a super hard transition for me and i kind of attributed it to losing baseball but in the end it was more than that so Mm. i think that played into the jadedness as well
1: Mm. yeah yeah
2: that's 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 really like what was
0: um, what was family life growing up how many family members you have and
2: Yeah, so my grandparents on my dad's side are from Cuba. So if you guys know anything about Cubans, it's always a big fiesta, lots of cousins, lots of holidays, and any chance you can get to spend with family is an opportunity to spend with family. So that's what we did. I mean, every weekend, every family trip, whatever it was, it was family, family, family. And my parents were super intentional about um, raising us to value that. So every Wednesday we had family night where we'd go through and Go through the bible so i grew up in a christian home that was a huge thing in our house and then sundays like i had mentioned were always family day and that didn't matter whether it was sports whether it was some school event whatever it was sundays were blocked off regardless and that was the precedent my parents set so uh, i grew up super close to family and we always were the house that everyone wanted to come to i mean high school <laughs> Funny enough, I would come home and you and Brett would be at my house without even letting me know. So that was kind of how my parents wanted it and were intentional about making it. Um, And I think that that was a big factor into why I enjoy relationships so much now. But Do you have a brother? Yeah, so older sister, who's my half-sister, she's 37, and then older brother who's 30 now. So I'm two years younger than him. So I'm the the baby of the family. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: What's your relationship like with your brother and your sister? So I'll start with
2: my sister. Her and I have a really great relationship in the sense that we're always able to keep things light and fun. So she's always there for me and she always has a a way of kind of breaking me out of my intensity. So back to growing up... um, as intentional as my dad was with family, he was also very intense about keep moving. So once you reached a goal, what's the next thing and keep going. So it kind of really created an intensity in my life. And I think my sister does a great job of pulling me out of the weeds and looking at these things that I'm trying to accomplish and saying, look around you, look at life, look at all the beautiful things you have. So that's like a gift that she has. Uh, she's a teacher. So I think that plays into it. She's very good with that stuff. Uh, and then my brother and I, Funny enough, my brother and I growing up were actually not very close. I said this in my best man speech for him, but I used to do things to push his buttons. I think it's a younger sibling thing for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But we weren't very close. We're really polar opposites in a lot of ways. Um, But I think as we've gotten older, we've come to appreciate our differences as gifts and talents. And now we actually work together. And it's been cool because the things that I struggle with, he's very talented at. And the things that he struggles with, I also have gifts in so we've grown a lot together in that Um, live in the same neighborhood raising our kids together and my brother is like the least complaining person I've ever met Um, which is something I really admire about him is that whenever there's something hard to do he says okay let's do it never does he complain or try to find a way out so that's always something I've tried to strive to be like Mm. from him in that way that's awesome
0: yeah Um, What about your relationship with your parents?
2: Yeah, so my parents, obviously still very close with them. Um, The intentionality as a kid leads you to just continue to be be close with them. I think as I've gotten older, the relationship has changed. I think growing up as a kid, you admire your parents and you think they can't do anything wrong in a lot of ways. As you get older, you kind of see that they're humans too and we all have our flaws. And so it's been really cool though now, starting my own family, looking back at the things that they did for us, I'm super grateful for how I was raised and the the values and things that they instilled in us growing up. So to this day, you know, they're very close to me, um, share a lot of stories and bounce feedback off of them. Uh, my dad has always been the dreamer, the one pushing the intensity, as I mentioned earlier. My mom's always been the sweet soul. Um, she is the most graceful person I have ever met rarely does she ever do anything for herself so they really balance each other out and I see both sides of that that played into who I am today
0: yeah and your dad coming from Cuba you speak on that at all yeah yeah so
2: back up to my grandparents I think that that plays a huge role into that level of intensity because they came over from Cuba when my father was nine years old So they had ran a business in Cuba. And at that time, it was just after Castro took over. And so communism was getting instilled. And the government basically made a deal that said you can leave the country, but you can't take anything with you. Clothes on your back, that's it. So they applied for a visa and talk about taking a risk. They gave up everything they had. They buried money under the floor of their house in Cuba and they went to Spain. And the day they landed in Spain, actually, they gave them, like, a little business card that said, here's your address, here's where you're sleeping tonight, go. So then they get this card, they go to this hotel, and they walk into the front door, and there's someone sleeping there. So now they have to go back to the immigration port, go through that whole thing. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then they wake up, and you have no money. You have five people, a family, and so you wake up and go, okay, time to figure out how to support my family in Spain. So. From there, my grandfather moved them to New York, and then ultimately from New York to California, where he started an optometry business, and then my grandmother, man, what a story she has. So they came over to the U.S. and spoke no English, which to me is crazy because she decided I don't speak any English, I'm going to go get my doctorate degree from USC. So she had her degree in pharmacy in Cuba, and then she went to go get it here in the States, but at the time they were living in a one-bedroom apartment um, here in the in the US and so she didn't speak the language. She would sit in the front of the lecture halls with a recorder, record the lecture, bring it home, translate the whole thing to Spanish so that she could understand what the professor was saying. Then she would write her paper in Spanish and then ultimately translate it back to English to submit for a grade. Hmm. Now here's the crazy part is she did it they're in a one bedroom apartment with five people, three young kids and an older grandmother that they were taking care of, which was my dad's grandmother. And so she studied in the car and she did this translation, writing all of her papers in the front seat of the car every night after the kids went to bed. So from that, I think my dad gained a lot of that intensity. And I think at that point they had no choice. It was survive or don't, you know? Um, And now here I am two generations removed, actually first generation American, which is pretty cool to say. Um, But the life that they created in this country and the opportunity that they had now, I don't have to deal with the same levels of, struggle that they did, right? They would survive or die for them. So I think that played a huge role into how my dad raised us, Um, always appreciating the opportunity of this country, especially realizing that nothing's handed to you, you have to work for everything, and that this country gives you that opportunity to make a life. Um, And again, the tight-knit of family, they didn't have anybody here that they knew, so it pushed them together to survive with each other. So I think those things going back to my childhood all played out and how I was raised
0: as well. I didn't, I didn't know your, your grandpa was an optometrist.
2: Yeah. He started his own optometry business.
0: So when he was in Cuba, did he have like an optometry business there? And then,
2: so they had a bakery and they had like a trucking business where they delivered almost like a logistics company in modern times here, but they had two businesses there. So the entrepreneurial spirit was in him. And he came over here and basically decided optometry is a need. So that's how he made his living. And then they ultimately invested in real estate and made a great life for themselves. But here's a here's a fun story. So both of them are deceased now. Um, but we were cleaning out their house and the communism thing never goes away. Like it's still instilled in your mind till the day you pass. So we're cleaning out their house. We go under their bed and we pull out these bricks that look like uh, a trash bag with duct tape on them and sure enough there were stacks of cash that they had stored underneath their bed because they didn't trust banks and they didn't trust the government so we, they had like over $100,000 in cash sitting under Jeez. their bed <laughs> to the point where the bills were stuck together because it had been so many years and they just they never trusted the government or anybody else to take care of them so they couldn't shake the communism ideas, so they said, "I don't care what happens, I'm going to make sure that my family's safe." And it, if it means cash and trash bags, it means cash and trash bags. So, wow, That's some yeah. crazy resolve. Yeah, it's a cool story, man. And it was so interesting because that was my dad's side, and then my mom's side was um, they were raised here, and my grandfather was a marine, and a totally different dynamic there, right? Um, my grandfather was also in real estate as well, a businessman, but you kind of grow up with these two different lifestyles, one coming from communism and one growing up in America, both very successful and both play into how you shape your own identity, but it's just a super cool dynamic and parallel when you look at both of them. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say so. What's, um, how is that, how is that resolve uh, helped you grow from going uh, going through high school to then college to being uh, a dad now just how like my grandparents
2: came up sure playing into me now yeah
1: just that um, that kind of fervor you know
2: yeah so uh, I mean you learn that nothing's handed to you I think that's what I said earlier and it still sticks to this day um, my wife actually <laughs> it has its benefits and it has its drawbacks as well but it It makes me live my life in gratitude in a lot of ways. Um, I think that when you look through life of an immigrant that came here with nothing, it's very hard to look at your life as a first-generation American going to college, having all these benefits because of their sacrifice. And it makes you avoid becoming a victim in a lot of ways. So I think that's something I always try to embrace is when I think I'm going through a struggle or a hard time, I try to look back at my grandparents and go, this is really a quarter of what they went through to make this even possible for me. So Mm. I kind of take it as a duty to honor the sacrifice and the risk that they took to come here to carry on that legacy in
0: a lot of ways. Mm. Um, This makes me think about like your standards and your core values. Yeah. So they set set the standard. They have core values that they instilled in your father that gets obviously passed down to you. How would you say – the standards that they have set, those core values that they have set, how is that transferred into your life?
2: Yeah, so you and I have talked about this a lot, but the difference of, of standards and goals and those different things, I think that the transfer comes in, in those standards. So at the time, again, when you're in survival, all you know is I get up and I work hard. That's who I am. I don't know what my goal is really besides put food on the table for my family. So... Um, that's kind of how I try to translate to myself when I get super in this big picture and try to set these huge goals. I try to break them down to, well, what does that mean for me? What's the standard? So a classic example of this is I think a lot of people um, look at weight loss and they go, well, I want to lose a hundred pounds, right? And it's this big hairy audacious goal. And you go, well, how do I deal with that? Instead, it's the standard of what do people that are in shape do on a daily basis And so instead of trying to achieve a goal, I'm trying to achieve the standard that ultimately generates the goal. So people that are in shape are people that go to the gym two to three times a week. So if I can just look at that and say, in order to get to there, all I have to do is become a person that goes to the gym two to three times a week. And that's my standard. And I make promises to myself and I keep them. Then ultimately the goals will play out. So taking that immigrant mindset and translating it to now being a first generation American and using the same level of intensity and standard of who do I have to become to get to the goal, I think is how it plays out in my life. And so I get caught up a lot of times in these big ideas and these big dreams, and I have to dial myself back to something that's actually attainable, which is like a daily action, right? I can conceptually understand getting up and going to the gym on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and if I can just do that consistently ultimately it'll translate to what I wanted at the beginning so I know that's a conversation that we've had a lot is breaking down your goals to the point where it's almost a daily action and then let time compound and then you look up and go wow I'm, I'm here right? yeah
0: yeah you do something for a year or five years or whatever it is even if it's really small that that totally plays into that
2: Yeah, 100%. It's the compounding effect of time, right? And it's the same thing that they went through. They started, you got to figure minimum wage jobs. But over time, they were able to compound their life and their efforts. Um, There's a great book called The Compound Effect. And typically, it's a financial term. But if you think about it in the sense of time, you realize that any effort that you're putting towards working out or podcasting or your business outside of monetary also compounds so each time you take a step you build a skill and then each skill continues to compound until you look up five ten years back at your life and go oh my gosh look at how much I've grown mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what happened with the baseball story right and when I was first in high school I was all jaded about it because I hadn't gone through enough time in my life to realize that a lot of the reason why I didn't get recruited was on me and in my responsibility to put myself out there but now looking back, the advice I give to kids in high school is totally different than if you would have asked me at 18. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Oh, good answer. Um, yeah, core values. I think, I think that is, because a lot of people call it core values. I call it standards. Yeah. You talk about setting goals. Yes, all those things, they all, they all add into one really big thing. And that thing is like really who you are when no one is watching you know and i think that i think that there's something to say like for people who don't know you they don't know that you wake up super early to go to the gym yeah. right and you just had a daughter so you're learning how to how to create a new standard and i think that that's something really interesting how old is your daughter
2: she's 5 months now 5 months old oh, right yeah. so <laughs> baby girl
0: yeah what are what are some things that you've had to learn on how to adjust your standard
2: yeah, can I back up a little bit yeah. to your point? Because I think I went down like a goals and standards path. But to the core values thing, it's a similar design in my head of how I try to look at it. But I said this to my wife and our vows, um, going through stuff early on in life. I, You and I went through a lot of stuff that had to deal with death, right? And so you go to these funerals and you live your whole life to create a legacy a story of who you are right who's your who are you as a person really is your character traits what do people remember when they think about you they're not going to remember all the details they're going to remember one how you made them feel and two what are the things that you did did you love them were you compassionate were you kind the character traits right Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember sitting in a, a funeral when I was a young kid listening to someone give a eulogy and I thought to myself what do I want my story to be when someone's Telling it for me. And the only way I can do that is by exuding the character traits that I want them to remember and reflect on, right? And so creating that story for the person that one day gives my eulogy kind of starts me from the top. And then how do I work into that? Um, So, who do I want to be remembered as? A couple of things that I always try to say is I want my family to be number one, I want my wife and my kids to be up there and to say he never once thought about himself. Obviously it's a, (laughs) it's a big goal and I'm not perfect, but selflessness is a huge one for me. Um, And then work ethic obviously is a big one as well to, for them to feel like I never, I guess, took a break in a lot of ways where they always knew they were getting the best effort out of me for the, for the length of my life. Um, And then ultimately that they were loved, cherished, and and cared for. So now coming back to that, it was one thing getting married. Um, You learn quickly where your selfishness is when you get married, especially for my wife and I, because we were long distance for four years before we got married. And then the day we moved in was the first day we actually lived in the same state. So that was a big adjustment. I had lived my life on my terms during the week. And then when I would see her on the weekend, it was just, pour into each other. And then she would leave and it'd be all about me again. So that was one level of selfishness that was revealed to me. Mm. Then here comes Macy, right? My little girl. And it was this whole new level of realizing that my life is truly no longer mine. Mm. And so I said these things in my vows to my wife about future kids and wanting to be selfless and wanting to be, I guess, remembered as never giving up or never slowing down always putting them first sacrifice right servant leadership all those things that you say and then when you have a kid it's like okay here's your test Shane you said you wanted these things now here's reality um, and so different standards have had to change I used to get up in the morning at like five thirty. now I'm getting up at four thirty. 30 uh, I used to come home from work and I would either read or go on a run or go surf, and now it's my wife is home with the kid, and so now my responsibility when I get home is to play with my daughter, pour into her, make sure she feels loved and cherished, um, regardless of really how I felt from work that day. And so the standard that's really came out the most since having a kid is just that selflessness and that servanthood. To try to really live that out now is the true test of what I said I wanted to do to what I actually am going to do. Um, but you and I talk about this, I'm talking about this for a little bit is why do I get up so early? Um, and a big part of that is I feel like I can't pour into my family unless I have time for myself. And so I've realized that with my schedule, as soon as I get home from the gym at six 7 o'clock, everyone needs something from me whether it's my daughter needs me to rock her to sleep, my wife needs me to take out the trash, my clients call me and need me to give them a proposal. And so from that 6.30 to 6 o'clock at night, work needs me, then I get home, and it's food, and it's this, and it's that. And I realize that unless I take an hour in the morning to really pour into myself, whether it's devotional, reading, just even times I sit in the parking lot in the quiet, um, I don't have anything to give. And so That's something that I've tried to create as a standard is fill up myself first so that I can pour into my family so that I'm not pouring from an empty cup, which is a metaphor we've always tried to reflect on. So kind of a long winded answer to your standards question, but I think it all plays into it. Right. Um, And you define who you want to be as a person and then you get the chance to live it out. And that's where you really put rubber to the pavement in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned from working with... Because Shane leads the trips as well as Grizz. But Shane leads the trips on the the off-the-grid stuff. Um, What have you learned from talking with other men? Because we get guys coming from all over the country, outside the country. Um, What have you learned from listening to other guys talk? Because we have this thing in Off the Grid where... Like you know, we have guys share their story. And they'll talk about things that they're struggling with, things that they're working on, things that they've gone through. Um, and it's a lot of the same conversation, mm-hmm. but what have you learned from those kind of conversations about yourself uh, from conversations that we've had out there?
2: Yeah, what have I learned about myself? that I have a lot to learn? <laughs> <laughs> I think the coolest part about Off The Grid is that you get so many different perspectives in life. I mean, everybody has a different family, different kids, different personalities maybe they're single maybe they're divorced maybe they're going through a loss in their family and you get to see globally all these different personalities and faith yeah and how they're tracking through life right Um, so for me the things that I have learned is one even though everybody's going through vastly different circumstances a lot of the struggles are very similar for a lot of us right we kind of have these topics that we talk about every night And it seems to resonate deeply with every individual. Um, And I've also picked up routines and habits, you know, little things that guys do for their wives or setting date nights or being intentional with their kids. I think that on a global perspective, learning how other people navigate the same struggles that I do has been super helpful for me. Um, The other thing that I think has really stood out to me is just how fortunate I was to have a father that took me out and took me camping and took me to teach me all these different things about shooting and off-roading. And um, the need for that in men and the time for themselves is so needed. And I think that's the thing that always comes out of the trip. I, we get there the first day, everybody's unsure. And then the last day everyone goes, man, I didn't even know I needed this but I needed this. Right. Mm, Yeah. And I think that's because they're filling up their cup. They're spending some time for themselves in a way that they may or may not have ever experienced before, but they go home feeling just full and refreshed. And I mean, so do I, right? That, that to me, the time out there and learning from these different men and how they're navigating very similar struggles is just so fulfilling. And I think it makes you feel human. It makes you feel like you're not alone. Like, oh my gosh, this person's struggling with that. I thought I was the only one. And I think that that's something that really, for me, I've grown into. Because when I would struggle with something, I would bury it deep and carry shame that, oh gosh, if people knew about this, they would think I was crazy. Like, I'm off the rails. Like, who struggles with that? How are you struggling with that? But when you go to these trips, people from all over the world, all over the country different families, you talk about these topics and everybody, although they have a different perspective, is kind of struggling with the same things and it kind of is a combatant to that guilt and that shame about the things that you're struggling with. So I I love those trips, man. I I just think that it's so good for, for us to get out there and really open up. And I think that's, again, one of the big takeaways to your, answer your question directly is it's okay to open up it's okay to be vulnerable, and as a matter of fact, it's good for you and it's good for your family to go ahead and share what you're dealing with. So,
0: yeah, filling this, up, filling up an empty cup so you can pour back into your family.
2: 100. percent And my wife tells me that when I get home from those trips, she's like, "Wow, this is cool. Like you're re-energized. You have new desires, new ideas, how we can grow as a family." And so, I highly recommend anybody (laughs) to get out and experience that because it's scary at first but like I said the first day everybody's kind of how's this going to go what am I going to do I have to jump in cold water why do I have to do that right and then they get back and they're like I need to come again and it's because they feel full themselves at least I do so I know I think all three of us have experienced that in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways yeah this
0: last trip I experienced something different too like when we got back there was two different vehicles with their entire family in the vehicles. Wow. And we got back and then we saw these families that these guys were talking about. And just to see how stoked their kids were that their dad, they're they're witnessing their dad going and focusing on something for him, you know, like his mental health. You imagine a kid, like I can't even imagine seeing my dad when I was younger. I think the only time I ever saw this is when he'd go fishing. He'd go on like an overnight trip with one of yeah. his buddies. Um, I'd go see him do that, and I'd be like, oh, he's going and spending time with other guys. Like, And the cool part about this is that it's like the intentionality behind why we're doing it. Just going out and doing something intentionally that has to do with, oh, okay, I'm going to be more vulnerable. I'm going to go and do something that challenges me. And for most guys, the biggest challenge is being able to talk about your weaknesses yeah. in front of other men because we are supposed to not be weak. Yeah. Constantly we're constantly battling. We have this grind mode that we're, we're whether it's making money, whether it's being the hero, whether it's all these different things about being a guy and then we have this opportunity to show up with other guys and it's okay to be weak, you know? Like, and if you don't know what your weaknesses are, are you actually strong?
2: So if you don't know what your weaknesses are, are you actually strong? Uh, I don't believe so. And the most interesting part about this trip that I always take away is we do hard things, right? We go in this river that's 35 degrees. We go on this hike that's pretty vertical, and the whole goal is not to stop. We do physically hard things. But over and over again, if we ask people what was the hardest thing for you, it's to share. It's to open up and share your weaknesses. And I think that when we were talking about this before we started – Vulnerability is a huge sign of strength, not weakness. So if you guys have ever had anyone sit across from you and share their story and really pour out to you, have you ever looked across the table and said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how weak you are? I think we all admire that. And we all at times wish we had the strength to share. And so vulnerability and strength, it's its coupled with admitting your weaknesses and then figuring out what you're going to do to try to get better with it.
0: Yeah. And not using your weaknesses as excuses. hundred percent. I think that's the biggest thing. Like the reason why I am this way and the reason why I do what I do is because this is what happened to me. Yeah. You know? Like that's sure. That's what happened to you. But that doesn't define who you are.
2: Yeah. And here's the thing I always say about that is what's super cool about that is you have a unique platform to tell a story now. So, for instance, like my wife went through a tough time with her parents. They had a a rough childhood in a lot of ways. I don't have the opportunity to share the story that she does. So now she has a story of coming from potentially a hard childhood with divorce and some other things. And when she gets to where she wants to get to, she gets to tell the story of coming from that. And it's this beautiful poetry of brokenness to restoration. And now what does my own family look like? I don't have that opportunity and yeah, it was a blessing for me to have good parents, but I think if people can shift and go, that's what happened to me, it doesn't define me and is actually giving me an opportunity to tell a super unique and cool story that can help other people that are going through what I went through as a kid.
0: Absolutely. You know? Yeah,
1: Mm, that's good.
0: Anything to add to that, Zach?
1: Well, I was actually going to transition just a little bit and talking more about you now being a dad. Yeah. What is uh, so? What is the hardest thing for you about being a dad?
0: Yeah. So you've only been a dad for five months.
2: Five months. Still a rookie, for <laughs>
1: sure. Um and I was gonna say, and it can kind of, it plays into what we talk about with off the grid. We got to be aware of who we are as men, like weaknesses and everything. So, like, what is what is the hardest thing about being a dad?
0: Actually, yeah. wait. Sorry, you can answer that question later. What are your biggest weaknesses, Shane?
2: My biggest weaknesses? Um,
0: you should be pretty good at analyzing yeah, them now.
2: For sure. And there's a couple things. If you want to get a practical skill level, it's details. Like calendars. I double book us all the time. My wife hates it. But that's a skill. I think my biggest weakness as a person is patience. And as well as finding contentment with where I am today. So the first thing patience and that ties into your question about being a dad so we'll get to that that's probably the didn't mean to just like blow your question i'm so heartbroken (laughs) (laughs) now we're good um patience is a weakness of mine patience with my wife patience with my daughter patience with myself is a huge struggle for me and it came from my childhood and now i'm trying to kind of rearrange and figure out how to deal with it um but i think that Patience really is a testament to your contentment with who you are as a person. Um, so when I am with my wife, a lot of times she brings things to me and she's looking for me to be a friend and I am trying to fix things, right? And so a big thing that we've worked on is how do I have the patience to sit there and just ask questions without feeling the need to interject my opinion?
0: You want her to feel heard.
2: hundred percent. And it's this it's this battle between... The intensity of here's your solution, do this, it's fixed, what's next? And so, translate that patience to my personal life and myself, that's the same struggle that I have internally with myself trying to be patient with where I'm trying to get to, if that makes sense. So, I tear myself down a lot. It's like this overwhelming insecurity that what I'm doing is never quite enough. I could always be doing more. And it's like, dude, on the weekends, My wife's like, can we just have coffee and watch a show? We watch a 30 minute episode and I'm like, I I wasted my whole day. And she's like, what are you talking about? You just worked for six days this week. You already did the lawn. You did that. And I'm like, yeah, but I need to do more. And it retracts me from being present in moments because I'm constantly looking for what's next instead of being content with what's now, uh, which is a huge struggle for me. And now back to being a dad. There's been things that I've been in the room, right? And my daughter just learned how to roll over. And I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm playing with her. I'm physically there, but my head's thinking about how do I accomplish this? What am I going to do with that? I need to do this in the yard, right? All these things about what's next, what's next, what's next. She rolls over and my wife goes, oh my gosh, that's the first time she rolled over. And I, I'm i like, wait, I just missed that. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting right there, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's 100%. about
1: living in the moment. hundred percent.
2: Being patient and content with what's happening in the current time, but still being motivated to move and grow and become better is a constant wrestle in my head. And it's always this battle of, okay, here's my daughter. Here's my wife. Look at my life. It's beautiful. I live in San Clemente. I'm on the beach. I have a healthy daughter. I have an awesome wife. I have a roof over. What can I possibly complain about? But then couple that with this crippling insecurity of I always need to do more and it becomes this wrestle of back and forth and I think that's my biggest struggle as a person and it's also my biggest struggle as a dad too because having a daughter what my daughter needs from me is for me to be there to show I care to be intentional to love her to cherish her to make her feel heard not for me to go make more money not for me to go buy another house not for me to go accomplish these things because she won't remember that at this age. Right. It's this quote that I heard. It's like really punched me in the gut. It's like the only people that remember you working late, it's not going to be your boss. It's not going to be your wife. The only people that remember whether or not you work late is your kids. Cause they're looking at it as, were you home or were you not? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that I'm trying to grow in and reel in so that I don't miss any more of those rollover moments with my daughter. Because it happens so fast. Yeah.
1: Is that like, um, is that kind of a? Do you feel like you need to perform for your family, in in that sense?
0: Yeah. I wrote I wrote down a question the very beginning of this, and I don't know why I did, <laughs> but I wrote down a question to talk about ambition and contentment.
2: Yeah, that's exactly the conflict.
0: Yeah. And so it's like,
2: something I've always dealt with. Yeah. And it's just amplified when you have a family now because, like I said, when it's just you, you can justify all the reasons why you're not content because no one else is relying on you at that point. I mean, you have family and other people that want to spend time with you, but really no one else is relying on your presence for their life to continue and and be joyful. My wife and my daughter, they want me there, and I'm part of their joy and their happiness. So now I have this whole other side to consider when I'm – Thinking about, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be ambitious. But the contentment is not just me. It's the contentment that my family is desiring, which is my presence, right? And so it's funny you wrote that. Probably because you know me so well in so many years of seeing me battle with all this stuff. But I think that it's a huge wrestle for, for all men. And to your point, Grizz, is do I feel an obligation or a desire to perform for them? I do. Um And I think that there is kind of like a minimum standard, at least in my own belief set of effort for your family. Totally. Yeah. Um, But if you have things and you you have a a life that is already beautiful, if your family's fed, you have a roof over your head, and you guys are all healthy, then there needs to be an existential focus on contentment. Right. Because like back to my grandparents, it's hard for them to be content when they're living on the street, right? I mean, they can find contentment in perspective of, well, I'm still alive and I have my... But this, the fight or flight of I just need to survive doesn't exist in my life. Mm. But I almost force it into my life. Mm. And that's unhealthy in a lot of ways for me
0: and for my family. Mm. I think yeah. that there's a healthy balance of that unhealthiness. <laughs> probably <And> I, <laughs> I, I no, you're right because I mean the theme the theme that I always go back to in my head and now that I'm having a kid I go to this as well um sure work life people outside of work and life like there's this whole balance you know and that's kind of the theme that I've been pushing to all the off the grids is where do you find balance because everyone's balance looks a little bit different but at the end of the day it's all the same so ambition and contentment i think the answer to that i think that really what you truly need to look for and what we need to look for as leaders of our families is how do we provide balance Mm -hmm. and that's by setting the standard and that's by understanding that there are going to be good times and there are going to be bad times how am i going to consistently set balance to all these things that are constantly trying to make me go up and down yeah, You know, when really our, our one and only job is to consistently be present in whatever moment we're in and to provide balance that's within ourselves first, you know? And I think that, I think that's missed on a lot of, like, cause a lot of people, they'll, they'll be motivated by ambition. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I want to do. And then they'll, they'll ride it off by saying, no, I'm doing this for my family. Yep. Like I'm going to work for my family. 100%, yep. I'm not, I'm missing the aspect of time which is the most important thing for my family, you know, because I'm spending it other areas.
2: Yeah. And there's, again, just just quotes that challenge me, right? Different things that I read and listen to. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the the interviewer was asking the guest, and he said, okay, if I offered you a million dollars today, would you take it? And, of course, everyone said, well, yeah. Okay, well, forget a million. What if I gave you $10 million? Would you want it? Would you take it? Would it change your life? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you take that $10 million, the only condition is you don't wake up tomorrow. And then all of a sudden we all go, well, we wouldn't want the $10 million. And what he translated it to was, so what you're telling me is waking up tomorrow is worth more to you than $10 million. But how many times do we actually wake up and carry that perspective through our day? Hardly. We don't. Yeah. And that's, I think, what you're talking about is finding the contentment in waking up while also still giving everything our best effort. Um, and I go back to scripture on some of this stuff, right? There's verses that say, work as everything is unto the Lord and not unto man. Essentially, work hard. But there's also these things that say, trust and wait in the Lord for him and his plan to come to light. So how do you balance that? You're saying wait, but you're also saying work. And I think part of the conclusion that I've come to is where's your worth, so your ambition and the things that you're trying to accomplish is good especially for men and you want to work hard and you want to give it your best effort but that doesn't define your worth right the
0: am i enough
2: exactly you're enough by who you are with god with your family and that's the basis for your identity and then from there that should give you the motivation and the excitement to push out into your ambition, but your ambition doesn't define the contentment portion. I guess ambition should come from contentment. It's kind of like faith, right? It's the whole idea of works versus grace. It's like, well, do I do good things to get to heaven? Or is it God gave me grace, saved me from my destiny, for my sins, and it's that grace that gives me desire to do better things for other people so that's the motivation for the good works it's not the good works that create the saving it's the grace but the grace then launches you into now that I have contentment I know my worth I'm excited to go out and essentially say thank you by going and doing good things righteous things for people Mm. so I think of it the same way with this ambition contentment thing if I can find contentment and the things of my life and my family, that should give me the motivation and the desire to go out and work hard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think of um, I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, like trusting the Lord with everything you have and not leaning on your own understanding. And as men, we like to lean on that hard work, that provision for our families and stuff. But it sounds like what you're saying is like when you are able to rely on that trust of the lord like he makes everything work out for you
2: yeah and here's a balance question right it's the old saying of like well wait on the lord i always struggled with that Hmm. probably because of this is an inner conflict and a weakness of mine but i'm like what do i so that means i just sit on the couch and angel a legion of angels is going to come and pick me up and drop me in the place i need to be i had struggled with that like no you have to still live your life but there's still this understanding that I have to wait and I have to be content. So, how, I mean, what do you advise athletes on when they're dealing with this? And how do you find balance? Like, what's your goal or I guess what's your standard for finding balance in your life?
0: The, the standard that I have people set, it starts out with, like, the bones of it are my mental health, my physical health, and my spiritual health. Um, that's where it starts out. And a lot of people have the first two. You don't have the first two. That's a good sign that you should probably understand the first two. And then the spiritual health, whatever that looks like for you, if that literally starts out with you, I, I say the standard for most people. And even if you don't want to follow the Christian life, like the Bible is an amazing thing. Um, it's a really old book there's a lot of answers in there. Even if you just understand the knowledge that's inside of that, even if you're not even going to follow it, like actually picking up that thing and learning how to read that, um, that would be like the first step to the spiritual health thing. Obviously the first two, the reason why I say the first two is that's because that's your actual physical being, what you do every single day, your mental health and your physical health. They're extremely related, but if you're not focusing on them every single day, there's no balance, you know? And obviously when I say physical health, it's not just working out. Yeah. It's working, you know? And your mental health, it's also working, providing, like doing all those things. And when I say mental and physical, you're gonna think, oh, therapy and physical, like working <laughs> out. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about figuring out what is my brain doing? Like how can I optimize my brain?
2: Thinking about your thoughts.
0: Exactly. How can I think about what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about? Right. Um, and then the physical side, it is literally your physical being. Like, what do you do to your physical being? Are you overweight? You know, like, is there something that you're doing where you're overweight? Yeah. Okay. Working out. That's great. Um, more in the sense of like, am I working 60 to 80 hours a week and not seeing my family and not focusing on my actual physical being of being right here, right now, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and then spiritual, obviously like learning about like my worldview and all these different religions and, what does that mean? Like, why did, why am I here? Yeah. You know, like why, like not enough people ask that question. Why am I here? And where am I going to go when I die?
2: Yeah.
0: Like those are my, if you're, if you're thinking about the spiritual side and you're going, no, I've already done this. of Whatever. If you're not asking the question, why did I get here? And where do I go when I die? Like those are the two most important questions that you should be asking yourself. And then trying to figure that out until you die yeah because it could be tomorrow like it really could yeah and if you're not asking that question how did I get here where do I go when I die no matter how old you are no matter how smart you are it does not matter we are all going to die yeah and if you aren't trying to gain information and knowledge based on those two questions what are you doing
2: yeah and I think that this is a conversation we talked about relationships earlier and the theme of this is relationships and how do we grow in them and when we went through your sister's passing in high school that's the question that became the forefront so I remember that was the first time in my life because I was always an achiever right I had to get good grades it was you got to get good grades you need to do this you need to be good perform right and the next thing you know you go through something like that and you realize none of this matters Mm -hmm. like this assignment I'm going to turn in whether I do or not it doesn't matter Because there's this grander perspective of life and death and family that is really what we need to center ourselves around. And I think that's what you're saying is if you can ask those questions and come up with an answer, whether it be the Christian faith, whether it be a different faith that you decide this is what I'm centering myself on. Now all the other stuff is just auxiliary to this anchor that you have. And I think that's why our friendship has lasted so long. And we've had our differences over the years. We fought about things. We've disagreed on things. We've challenged each other. But at the end of the day, we've looked at each other and go, "That none of that matters. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're going to die. Things are going to change. And we're just going to be left here with how did I treat people? And that's how people are going to remember me. You know?
0: Relationships.
2: 100%. Yeah. And that's why I kind of blame you for this, just so you know. It's like friendships now. I told my wife, I'm a super relational person. But like the first 10 minutes of a conversation, I just don't enjoy it because it's like, well, what do you do for work? You know, where do you live? All these things. And it's a flaw of mine. But I think at a young age, when we went through that, we jumped straight to this deeper side of perspective. And so I want to know, like, what do you care about? What are you driven by? What are you passionate about? What's Where's your, your purpose? Where's your purpose? That's a perfect way to put it. And I, my wife, God bless her. When we first got married or we were first dating, um, that was something I, I skipped over all the small talk. And I asked her, why do you want to get married? And she's like, can't we just go to dinner <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like have fun? Um, but I think talking about those things and going into a relationship like marriage, those are super big things that you have to understand about each other to ground yourself in this same perspective of life. So when you have a big bill that you can't pay and you're late on your this or you get laid off from your job, you're still back to what really matters where's my perspective does this really matter or is this gonna be in five years from now something that we laugh
0: about yeah that makes me think like who in your circle if you're okay with sharing yeah who is your circle who is your trusted like your tribe like people that you really can go to and connect with emotionally spiritually tell like ask questions Whatever it is, like, what is, if you're okay with sharing, like, who is your yeah. circle? Who
1: matters to you?
0: Not that. Oh. Because you could have a lot of people that matter to you. But, like, <laughs> right? really, like, your circle. Like, who is your circle? I want to make it really important that if you don't have a circle, um, what does that make you feel like?
2: Yeah, you're alone. Alone. You're lonely, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, who is in your circle? And I know from off the grid, our circle is getting bigger, but really throw down, like, your, your tight circle.
2: Yeah, so you don't need to name them. I'm gonna go outside of family because inherently I'm close with my family, but I think even outside of that, you need a circle that you can talk to about your family. So, absolutely, like I can't talk to my brother about our relationship with my brother. So, building your circle is to me just a, a super important thing. So, I have the way I try to think about it is I have probably three, four, five close friends that I really confide in. Um, I have a lot of companions. I'm a pretty outgoing person and I make a lot of friends and I still keep in contact with them. But when I'm in the deepest parts of my soul, there's certain groups of people that I go to. And I think obviously you and I have that relationship, other friends I have that relationship with, but there's different areas to connect with different people. So, For instance, I'll go to you a lot with our marriage and our spirituality and these things that we're really connected on. Now, if I'm going to go talk about a real estate deal and my fear and have someone walk me through that, I'll probably go to somebody else, right? And so I probably have four or five friends that I really let into the deepest parts of me. Um, I'll share my story openly, but those are the people that, depending on what I'm going through in my life... I always know that they're there. Back to the question of if you have a flat tire at 2 in the morning, who's going to come and and get you? And those are the people that to this day... Well, I hope you can change your flat tire in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lesson in off the grid. Learn how to change a flat. But um, without naming names, I would say there's a tight circle there that depending on whatever I'm going through, those are the people that I go to. And marriage, right? You have your spouse who's definitely the person that knows you the best but who do you talk to about your spouse? It can't be your spouse all the time. So that's one thing that I like to hit on when we talk about circle is you need people in your circle that are going to push you towards what you're trying to achieve. And I talk about marriage big on this because there's struggles in marriage. There's disagreements. It's hard at times. And you want friends that are going to push you back to your spouse, not offer you an avenue to gossip about your spouse. And I think that's something that That's that, huge. It's yeah. so prominent yeah. in the world, right? Yeah. It's like because when you go gossip, you're going to someone that you know is gonna validate your side and it makes you feel better, but it doesn't help your relationship with your spouse. Because all you're doing is going and validating all the things and your frustrations and you're going to someone that you know is gonna tell you the answers that you want to hear. And so I try to go to someone who's gonna be willing and courageous enough. To say, actually, Shane, you were wrong. You need to go back to your spouse and apologize.
0: Okay, so this makes me lead into a question. What is your thought on judgment versus not having judgment? This is a tricky one. Yeah. I've been thinking about this recently because I always I've always liked the thought of having like a friend or like a family member or someone that you can literally say anything to and they don't judge you. Yeah. But when is it like, okay. Or when is it right to have judgment and have judgment over <laughs> your Oh, like over yourself. Yeah. So, cause you're always told not to judge.
1: Yeah. My, my dad called it, um, observation. Like you don't, he's like, judgment is for God. We, ob- we observe other people. And if they ask For like our input, we give it to them based on our observation.
2: Yeah, and I think that, so there's a couple things with judgment that I always try to keep in mind, right? First thing is, I can't give anybody a conflicting opinion that doesn't already trust me. So I've been in conversation with people where I just met you. You tell me something that I completely disagree with. It does me no good to push back on you and say, I don't agree, and now we're in an argument, right? They don't know who I am. They don't trust my opinion. They don't trust that I have best interest in mind for them. So that's the first thing I try to do with anybody that I would be willing and, like we said, courageous enough to push back on, is they need to trust me, one, with my intentions, and, and two, that I'm looking at it from trying to help them, not hurt them. So if I don't have trust, I don't have anything in a relationship. Then the second thing is, I talk about this a lot, is expectations that people set for themselves is basically what I can hold them to. So if you come to me and you say, I want to be a husband who doesn't stay at work until 8 o'clock, and you, Brock, tell me that, now I feel that I have the opportunity to hold you accountable to that Mm. because it's something that you stated you desire. So when you come to me and you said, hey, my wife's really upset with me, you know, and this is an example, but I've been having to work really late. And I, at that point, I'm going, okay, well, you told me this is what you wanted. So let me remind you, hey, Brock, love you. Let's go back to the first conversation. Remember, you told me that you wanted to be there for your family, and you didn't want to be doing exactly what you're doing. So some people think that's judgment, I kind of look at it as accountability Mm -hmm. to what people have told me they're trying to create for themselves. And I think it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in marriage. It's the same thing in all these different avenues. I don't think it does me good to hold somebody accountable to a standard that they have no desire to hold themselves to. Then it's just judgment. Mm -hmm. Because I think that they're wrong and I'm right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this happens all the time in Christian faith, right? Uh, You meet somebody. They just got into the Christian faith and they drop an F-bomb. It's like, what do I do with that? Do I condemn them and say, well, you, maybe you shouldn't be cussing. Well, what does that do for them? They, it doesn't do any good.
1: Yeah, they don't know you. But if
2: they come to me as somebody that they've said, okay, I want to try to clean up my mouth and I don't want to cuss anymore. Well, now I have an avenue and they would only come to me first with that trust to say, okay, Remember, you told me this, so I'm raising a flag for you to keep you accountable to the standards that you're setting for yourself. So um, that's what I try to do a lot of times. Um, Now, if someone asks me for my opinion, I'll give it to them. But I think facilitating opinions without getting the trust of the other person is really just two people trying to prove a point rather than actually hearing each other and trying to convince the other person of their opinion. I think it's something we've lost today. Um, in debate right everyone I always say this if you're debating for the sake of debating it's pointless like if you really are that passionate about something where you want to go and convince somebody of it that should be your goal is for them to hear you consider your opinion and then actually have a chance of them potentially accepting it but that doesn't happen if it's just this battle all the time and you see it in politics and other areas but Anyway, I, judgment to me is not hearing from the other person what they want to be accountable to and just throwing it in their face when they never set that standard for themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question kind of going into um, into the marriage, dad, and family yeah. life um, and kind of going off of what we had just talked about there. Um, I love reading the book of James goes over a lot of just practical stuff with, um, the Christian faith and how we act and how we live. Um, and in James one, it talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Um, how do you deal with that as a married man and dad?
2: Yeah. Um, you wrestle with it, you grow in it. I think that something I always like to say, just talking about faith is that I am the sinner among sinners right and i have just as many sins as anybody else and i think that's something that i always try to highlight when i talk about scripture my faith or things like that is that i'm a sinner saved by grace that's the bottom line and so if i can operate from that principle um, then we can be on the right foot especially in my family so this is something my wife and i talk about a lot and and the slow to speak slow to get angry thing I think that there's a deeper level of trust in a marriage relationship that you have to have with your spouse. And it's not a trust of this person's not cheating on me. I can let them go out with their friends. I trust them. It's a trust of what they say and how they say it is with the intention of loving me. And if they knew that it was hurting me, they wouldn't have said it that way. So I have to trust that or else I'm gonna get angry a lot. So this happens in my my marriage often where I'll say something the wrong way and my wife will come back to me and say, hey, I know you didn't intend for that to hurt me, but how you said it did. And she can only say that if she truly trusts that my intention is not to hurt her. And if I knew I was hurting her that I wouldn't have done it that way. So I think that that is a way to avoid getting angry with each other. I want to hit on the the first portion of that verse, which is um, slow to speak. And I read a great book called The Four Pillars of a Man's Heart, Four Pillars of Manhood. It's by Stu Weber. He talks about a man kind of has four tools in his tool belt. One of them is like the friend. Then there's the mentor. Um, then there's the warrior. And then there's, uh, he calls it a king. It's kind of a bad word for it, but essentially it's this person that is making decisions and fixing things. So hmm. I try to be slow to speak and listen to my wife to figure out what she's asking for. We talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but what, it, which version of me, which tool is she asking for? Is she asking me to be a friend where I just need to listen and she's not asking for anything else? Is she asking for me to be a mentor? Basically, I want your advice, And then, or is she asking me to fight for her? She asking me to step in and help her and protect her, or is she asking me to ultimately like try to fix her problem, right? Um, And if you slow down enough, you can start to kind of gauge what they're asking for. And then there's the times where you still don't know, which I've tried to get in the practice of: okay, are you asking for friend or mentor or fight? Which one are you asking for here, so that I can direct myself. In the right direction, and I think that's really helped our marriage. And it only comes from being slow and trying to understand uh, the person that she's needing me to be in that moment. Mm.
0: Yeah. So, Got any thoughts on that, Bro? Changing subject here a little bit. Great. I I want you to answer me a question that has to do with your daughter and we just took a little break and we got back from the break and while you and I are in the restroom I made a comment that had to do with like this is gonna be here even when like hopefully yeah. as long as the internet's around um, like when you die mm-hmm. you know what does that make you think about like the, the fact that your daughter whatever age she is right now like I I don't know what age she is right now when she listens to this, but this is going to be something that she listens to, that her father is speaking on when she's five months old. Yeah. You know?
2: Trippy to think about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't necessarily know what question I will ask. I'll come up with it at the end of this. But what does it make you think about right now?
2: It takes me back to um, a couple of things. One, it's back to the funeral and what are people going to say about me when they're standing up there and I'm gone and what story are they going to tell? Um, Because right now I'm speaking from a place of this current time frame, right? My opinions, my thoughts, how I'm dealing with things in marriage. I'm talking about being a father when she's five months old. The content may be completely different when she's a teenager, right? It's a whole different set of, of struggles. So When I think about her listening to this, again, my whole thought and my hope is that she sees how much I care and how much I am intentional with my thoughts, with our family, with loving her, admitting my weaknesses so that she can listen to this and hear that her dad's a human. I think growing up as a kid, I always looked at my parents as like these superheroes, and it wasn't until later in life that I saw that they had weaknesses. And it made our relationship more transparent because I was like, oh, my gosh, like my dad struggled with the same thing I did. If I would have known that I could have talked to him with it. Right. And so I hope she hears this and thinks about honesty and my transparency. She sees that dad is isn't perfect, but dad cares. Um, And the part that's super intriguing to me with the Internet being around is I'm interested to re-listen to this like 10 years from now. And see where my perspectives have stayed the same and where they have changed. But for her, again, I hope that she sees transparency and willingness to just share who I am and what I struggle with. Because if she knows that dad struggles, my goal is that that gives her the window or the avenue to come to me when she's dealing with something that
0: she's struggling with. Why did you want to start a family? Yeah,
2: I think uh, I've always wanted to be a dad just kind of inherently growing up that was a a big thing for me obviously being close to my family it was like well that's what family looks like so that's what you do when you get older Um, but now it's not just something that you do because it's a learned behavior I think it's something that you do because you're excited about and that you get to have an impact on your kids and you get to change their lives so like having a girl I think is it's funny because a lot of my friends are like oh my gosh you have a girl are you nervous about this world and the things that are going on and what? remember how you were as a teenage boy and those thoughts cross my mind but I think having a family gives me the opportunity to be the outlier in that situation Um, and that's what I've been super excited about to start a family to play my part in being that dad for her that so many people are missing. Um, I think that a lot of people's stories are unfortunately, I guess, told with a broken family or a dad who wasn't there or a dad who didn't tell his daughter how beautiful she is or how much he loves her and cares about her. And so it's super exciting for me to look at my young daughter and see it as the perfect opportunity to be the outlier in that situation, to be the dad that tells her how beautiful she is, that she's loved, that she's cherished, that she's fought for. Um, and to me, that what, what greater gift is that than to influence someone else's life and to make them feel loved and, and cherished? And so the original question was, why start a family? I think for me, um, it's a small part that I can do To make a difference in their lives And ultimately they can go out and make a difference In the world in a lot of ways So I think change happens A lot from nuclear family And then people come and they go Start their own families And so if we can create Good healthy families And then our kids create good healthy families And their kids create good healthy families We can really influence Change across not only The US but a lot of Different countries around the world Mm. and I mean you guys probably have seen the statistics Orange County it's like divorce rate is I think 70% 70 60-70% now probably have to be fact checked on that but again it's an exciting opportunity for me I don't see it as fear I see it as opportunity so Mm. and then ultimately it's a super big joy for me Um, I talk about influencing her life but when she listens to this, when she's old enough, what she's not going to have realized is how big of a joy and an impact she's had on my life. And I think that as parents, we always think about our kids and how do we make their life better. And we sometimes don't slow down enough to see how they're
0: potentially making us better, bringing us joy, changing us. Right. I actually had a research study that we did. I think it was the first performance in brain and it talked about why being a father, um, actually makes you happier. And I know that a lot of fathers, I got some emails back saying, (laughs) I don't see that right now. Yeah. Um, But at the end of your life, the thing that you go back on is you think to myself, like what legacy have I left behind? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a child and for those who aren't able to have children um, and you think about legacy, your legacy is different, but if you directly have a child that is your legacy, you know, I would say that your legacy goes into a bunch of different facets. Yeah. And for those who don't have children, that's extremely hard. That's, I mean, I was in that headspace for yeah. four years, you know? Um, but I think the opportunity to leave a legacy is, uh, it's huge. It's a huge blessing.
2: Yeah. And here's the, the thing about legacy that I think about a lot. And there's like, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in the macro legacy of like, what is the world going to remember me as? But the interesting part of that is if you take it out to scale, nobody's going to know who you were in, in five generations. Like you'll liter- No one will even know that you existed. But if you can focus in on your family and the legacy that you're leaving in the microcosm for them, it gives you a whole different sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether people five generations from now that are not in your family remember you, that doesn't matter. What matters is what legacy are my kids going to remember me with. And that to me is like the ultimate gift of fatherhood, is the opportunity, to to do that right, to leave that legacy micro with your kids, your wife, your friends, um, and not care what anyone thought, because you, you're gonna people are forget you even existed. So, it's an interesting thought that I deal, I wrestle with a lot, mm-hmm. and it's back to the whole perspective thing, right, and purpose, and why am I here? If we try to create our legacy around how much money we had or are we viral on the internet in in three, four, five generations, you could have billions and billions of dollars. You could be the biggest followed personal social media, but no one's going to know who you are. They're not going to remember you. And so does that really matter or is it back to the micro level of who am I influencing in my family and my friends and the people that are close to me? So when I think about legacy, I try to keep it Uh, in that realm rather than worrying about what people think about me Mm. as my legacy
1: Mm. yeah i like you keep you want to keep it simple that's good
2: yeah it's that's a hard thing man dealing with other people's opinions of you outside it's not easy to do it's something that i struggle with it's hard not to think about what these people outside of your circle are thinking about you and i think that you do want to influence people positively, but at the end of the day, they're not the ones that are going to really carry that legacy unless they have intentional time and time spent with you. So it's a, it's an interesting thing, especially in today's world, right? Like the whole social media influence is all about showing other people what I am good at. What are my highlight reels and for what? So that they have a cool perspective of you, but then I look back it's funny like to what we used to post in high school we're like oh this is people are going to think this is so cool then you scroll back on your Instagram five years and you're like what was I doing right Um, anyway just a sidebar there but legacy man that's big
0: yeah absolutely do you have any more questions you want to ask I'm good man that was really okay so I did come up with a question for the last one and it kind of ties into legacy um And this is for your daughter, for people like myself, um, people who are close to you. Um, And this is a heavy question. Oh, gosh. (laughs) If you weren't going to be around tomorrow, so if you're going to die tomorrow, what would you like to say right now, right here? On this podcast, (laughs) if you were going to die tomorrow,
2: Jeez. you're going to make me cry. Uh,
0: What would you say
2: to my daughter or just in general?
0: In general, this is something that if I had the opportunity for the people that I've lost in my life, yeah, if I had the opportunity to hear them answer, yeah, this question, I would give the world to have this question and I want to know what you would say. Yeah. So
2: the first thing I would say is I'd probably talk directly to my wife and my daughter. Um, I'd say, I love you. I cherish you both. There's nothing greater in my life. that brought me more joy than the two of you. Um, and then the other portion of that that I would tell them is to honor me would be to not be hung up on the fact that I'm gone, but to carry on the things that they took from me and to live out the legacy that I was trying to put out there, but didn't have the time to. Um, and I think that that's something that I'm not trying to flip this because this is a deep Thing, but something that I've really admired about you and our story and our friendship was that you lost your sister and you decided painful and back to the earlier conversation, this is something that happened to me that was very difficult, but I have a choice. And what am I going to do with that? And that's really how you launched into psychology, sports psychology, your desire to do off the grid to help people because you were trying to honor your sister. And so you took something that could have easily made you a victim and you turned it into purpose and you're now honoring her legacy. And so that's what I would tell my family is it's okay to be sad. I miss you more than anything in the world. I love you more than anything in the world. But if you want to honor me, live out the legacy of what we've been trying to create as a family and you'll see where joy can be found in that the pain doesn't go away the hurt won't go away but whenever you do something you'll think wow my dad would love this Mm -hmm. you know and I think that you and I still go through those times with your sister and different people that we've lost it's like I would want them to to live in a way where they would go Wow, Dad would be so proud. Or, wow, Dad would love this. Look at this river. Look at this mountain. He loved coming out here. Um, and so, telling them I love them, I cherish them. They bring me the most joy in my life. But not to stay in the pain. <clears throat> Don't let the situation become... I need some water. <clears throat> Don't let the situation make you a victim. Instead, choose to continue on that legacy that we were setting as a family so and that's the goal right it's like we're only one person and if our legacy dies with us then is it really a legacy Um, but if we pass and there's others that heard it appreciated it and decide that that's something worth carrying on to me that's the ultimate satisfaction of life is for my kids my wife the day that I go to be like, yep, his legacy, we want to carry on. We need other people to hear this. We need other people to have the desires to grow into this and carry this on. And if I can do that, then I would feel accomplished. So I and I, I didn't mean to flip it, but I before we we're done here, I just wanna say that's something that I admire about what you've done with your life and your career is you've taken an immense pain point and you went through hard times, but you chose to never be a victim to it. You chose to embrace it and take your sister's legacy and put it into your life's work. And I mean, look at what you're doing now, you know? The impact that you're having on so many people's lives from off the grid to off the wall, it's just a testament to how powerful those legacies can really be and how powerful they can be multiplied when you refuse to be a victim to what's happened to you and to be honest with you if I had to say anything that's probably what your sister would look down and say that's exactly what I would want you to do is to to carry on that legacy Mm -hmm. so you went deep dude (laughs) you went deep with that (laughs) question but yes he did classic Brock
0: that's a good one yeah Finish this out, Zach.
1: You want me to finish this out? Yeah. Um, do you want me to ask Shane a question? Or do you want me to just close it?
0: <laughs> if you guys made it this far, um, I'm glad that you got to hear about Shane, um, one of my closest friends, and yeah, I I think that caps off the the end of this Episode and love you guys. Love you, you you Shane. Thanks for having me, dude. Thanks, Shane. I always
2: love spending time with both of you guys. So keep it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We'll see you later, you guys. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye.